Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a skinny post across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. You're bad gum right, I'm skinny. Oh, wait, you were just talking about the post I just ran. Um, anyway, what's up, guys? Uh, week one preview is upon us. We There's going to be some actual meaningful football games this week. And they might be halfway decent. I know there was some last weekend, but um, this is really the first true weekend of college football. So I'm excited, man. Let's get started. Let's. Um, we can't get started, though, without the third amigo in the second city. A man who prefers a car with gull wing doors. It's our <laughs> intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Well, I'll tell you one thing that's in midseason form, the weather in Iowa City. How about this for a fall forecast in the last weekend of August? Mid-60s, 30% chance of rain, 70% humidity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that is college football weather. I'll yeah. that. If I've ever heard of it. Um, so, uh, yes, as uh, both Coach and Josh have alluded to, it is, in fact, week one here in the college football season for 2019. We are so excited to be back with you for our fifth season on the air. And we're going to get started, like we do with all of our, uh, our in-season shows, with some quick slants. So, Josh, I'm going to throw it out to you first. I know you got a little bit uh, about some transfer eligibility rulings. I do. So, uh, in the good news, just not because he gets to play, but also because he's going to play for Iowa, uh, Oliver Martin's waiver was approved for immediate eligibility coming over from Michigan. Uh, he got NCAA approval like a week ago. I don't know why the Big Ten was waiting around. I've never heard of a conference denying a waiver um, after the NCAA approves one, but he gets to play. That's awesome. Um, he is transferring back to his hometown. I'm not 100% sure what the whole, like, Fuffle was and why he needed a waiver and all that other than it was in a conference but on the other end of the spectrum Coastal Carolina player Brock Hoffman transferred to Virginia Tech so now he wants to be a Hokie and his primary reason for transferring is his mother had brain surgery for a tumor and is having health complications from it um, Articles are saying that she is uh, going blind in one eye and having some other issues. And uh, Virginia Tech campus is about two hours closer, I believe, than Coastal Carolina's. But it sits five miles outside of the NCAA's 100-mile radius. So they denied his request 
to play immediately this year. And I don't know why. Um, there's really no explanation. I don't know why there's any explanation at all on why a player can't play right away after transferring, especially as we've had a breakdown of, you know, the grad school transfer rule. Uh, some of the other rules like, oh, your coach got fired or your coach resigned and now there's a new coach and you can go play uh, kind of like a certain Ohio State kid did. So I don't know what the NCAA has to gain from this other than yet another embarrassing moment. And I really think a simple rule would be if you want to transfer, you get to play immediately. If you want to transfer a second time, then you do have to sit out. Yeah, that is such a common sense rule that the NCAA will never even think about doing something like that. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we talked uh, a little bit during the offseason about the transfer portal, and it has brought about so much change, especially at the quarterback position. And that coach is is something else that I want to touch on really quick before we hop into your quick slam, because pretty much every quarterback that transferred got eligible immediately, even if it wasn't under, you know, the same kind of circumstances that happened for young Mr. Hoffman in Virginia tech. Do you think that's just because it's a glamor position coach, or do you think there's a a larger underlying issue? I think it's just because it's a glamor position, to be honest. I mean, that's the moneymaker in college football. That's what everybody wants to see. So, I mean, what I guess, so I guess like the, like the, I mean, Tate Martell is, uh, and Justin Fields are both eligible immediately. I guess Tate Martell could say, oh, well, uh, Urban Meyer left, or he retired in this case. Um, so he should Yeah, I mean, they could, they could come up with any stupid reason to to transfer mm-hmm. uh, at that position, and they'll get granted immediately. But yeah. somebody like Luke Ford, who, grad, who transferred from Georgia to Illinois mm-hmm. for probably one of the most legitimate reasons, I mean, you know, you have a sick grandfather and – back home in Illinois and you want to be close to him Mm -hmm. and you get homesick and he transfers to Illinois and doesn't get immediate eligibility appeals it. And then his appeal gets denied. So, I mean, what what kind of sense does that make? I mean, I agree with you guys. Let's just, if you want to transfer, transfer, Mm -hmm. you can play right away. Um, If you transfer within conference, maybe, there's some there no who some cares rules, no i i really I don't, don't think so i i think if you transfer if you want to transfer the first time fine go for it you're eligible immediately it's, it's a two-way street i mean and you then you get into a waiver to, process to on, on on the second time yeah but, I mean, you gotta have somebody to take you too so i mean there you go mm-hmm. and i mean like transfer doesn't matter yeah and i mean there's no uh there's no rule about coaches no they don't have to sit out a year so no i don't get it Professors don't have to sit out a year. The yeah. professor definitely doesn't have to sit out a year. <laughs> Athletic trainers don't have to sit out a year. No. ADs don't have to sit out a year. So why should the players, the people that they're making the money off of in the first place? Anyhow, uh, Coach, uh, you and I will both be uh, here in downtown Nashville this weekend watching your dogs take on the Vanderbilt Commodores in person. Yes, that is that is 100% correct. Um I have a whole slew of my college buddies coming up uh, with their with their significant others, um, and uh, they have including me in their ticket allotment. So I'm extremely excited. I haven't seen a lot of those guys in probably um, more than one year. I mean, for some of them, I haven't seen even since my wedding, which was uh, I don't know what six years six ago. Six years ago. See, six years go. ago. See, you know, 
Uh, no, I know. Uh, I know too. Don't get it twisted. My wife um, and I moved in together two days after your wedding. So it, that, it's pretty easy is, for me to remember. That is, that is true. That is very true. So um, why am I excited about this game? It's a very meaningful game. Uh, it's a very meaningful opener. It's a divisional opener. And it's it's a game that excites me because Georgia just has so much talent coming back. Um, they've got some questions to to answer, especially at the wide receiver position. Who's going to step in for Michael Hardman, Riley Ridley, and Terry Godwin? Who's going to step in for Isaac Nada? I mean, you know, that's the biggest questions offensively. Can uh, James Coley step in as new offensive coordinator and and pick up where Jim Chaney left off and then some? Uh, can he fill the voids that Jim Chaney had when he was coordinator? Um, running back, we know we know that'll be fine. Uh, DB, who, who can replace DeAndre Baker? Who can replace uh, DeAndre Walker? You know, who can replace some of those guys on, on the defensive side? This is supposed to be one of the most talented Georgia defenses maybe since the, the junkyard dog era of the early 80s. Um, my, my question for you is going to be about that defensive backfield um, because yes. you have to replace DeAndre Baker, who was, you know, one of the probably two or three best corners in the entire country last year. Yes. And, you know, the rest of that defensive backfield. Yeah, and the rest of that defensive backfield, um, you know, and doesn't quite have, uh, you know, nearly his experience, um, but they do have a lot of talent. You know who has a lot of experience, um, as and he got a lot of his experience as a freshman. Tyson Campbell, uh, Eric Stokes at the cornerback position. They have, uh, they were kind of baptized by fire because DeAndre Baker was so good. They picked on the other guy, and so they both made plays throughout the season. Uh, Tyreek McGee is somebody who is a senior who could look to play a, a huge role at that corner spot, um, could find his way into the starting lineup, not currently there yet, but is somebody that has made some plays before in the past. And, but, I mean, the two safeties are coming back, so you are not you don't have a totally inexperienced defensive backfield. The uh, Ed, J.R. Reed, I about said Ed Reed. I wish we had Ed Reed. Uh, J.R. Reed and Richard LeCount come back. Uh, Ed, uh, J- I keep that uh, again. Uh, J.R. Reed is this would be his third year starting uh, for the dogs on the, in the defensive backfield. So uh, that's exciting. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's something that, you know, their leadership will hopefully take care of those those younger corners and, and bring them along. But I mean, there's a lot of competition. I mean, there's no telling there could be some freshmen that jump in there and play. You, you never know. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, from you know as someone who's not a fan of you know inherently i should say of georgia um for me it just it seems like georgia alongside obviously clemson and alabama have just those three teams have separated themselves so much it seems over the rest of the pack in the country i think the only other team you could really throw in there might be oklahoma um just year in and year out that you know they're going to be in the mix so you you know you could say oklahoma but um what what impresses me about Vanderbilt, not only are they, are they extremely well coached uh, ever since Derek Mason took over the defense, they've been freaking stingy. They've been good. They've been flying around. They make it tough. Um, Georgia's lowest rushing total uh, a year ago was uh, the game against Vandy. So mm-hmm. um, even though they, you know, pulled away late in the second half, but they had to go, they had to go to the air to really do it. So, um, but we're, we're, what really impresses me about Bandy coming in this year is the trio of offensive talent they have in uh, Jared Pinkney at tight end, uh, Kalista Lipscomb 
Um, he's one of the, uh-huh. I mean, the fact that that guy's not a major household name is beyond me. He is extremely talented. And then Keyshawn Vaughn, who I don't know why he went to Illinois out of high school. Uh, he should have just stayed home, but he's a home run hitter. He, he's averaged over five yards per carry. And it says a lot about the program that they're, that they're in. The fact that Keyshawn Vaughn could have gone to the NFL draft at the running back position, probably could have gotten drafted pretty high. He decided to stay for his senior year and come back and and lead this uh, Vanderbilt offense. So Mm -hmm. um, they are going to be good, but I think they're just going to run into a buzzsaw with Georgia. Georgia's the most talented Georgia team that that they've ever, they've ever had. Yeah. um, One of the guys that I really like on, on that, on the Georgia defense um, is DC Williams. Um, the the corner he's a really really just uh solid guy coach you and I saw him at practice last year he was just locking dudes down left and right yeah. um and uh you mentioned Kalaja Lipscomb but don't forget about Jared Pinckney um who is you know uh you know he's a guy that at the tight end position could put could push for being first team all SEC this year yeah um, I mean he, he's going to be a high NFL draft pick I mean mm-hmm. that guy's I mean that guy's good yeah, it's just it's gonna it's gonna be tough Hard though. To it's gonna be tough because you know Vandy's gonna be breaking in a new quarterback and, and so three you, new offensive linemen. Ugh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not gonna be pretty against Georgia. So um, my first quick slant and my only quick slant, I should say, um, I'm gonna talk a little FCS um, as it has been for a decade now. Uh, when you talk FCS football, you begin with North Dakota State. Uh, they're the reigning champs again. And this uh, th- this year, they're coming off of one of their most impressive seasons, even amongst, you know, this decade plus of uh, just absolute dominance. Uh, they went 15-0 and last year, uh, easily beat Wa- Eastern Washington in the FCS title game down in Frisco. Um, uh, but this season, they're breaking in a new head coach. Um, obviously, um, uh, Chris Kleiman headed down to... Uh, the little apple. He is now the coach taking over for the immortal Bill Snyder. Um, so they have promoted Matt Entz, who spent the last five seasons as a team's defensive coordinator. They've also got a new quarterback this year, Trey Lance. Um, and so he has to take over for Easton Stick, who obviously, even in the shadow of Carson Wentz, uh, put up some really, really impressive numbers for the Bison. Um, the team they beat in the title game last year, uh, Eastern Washington, they start the season at, at number three in the polls. Um, but one of the things that I'm going to be looking out for them this year is the fact that I think they're going to actually pull back the reins a little bit on that air raid attack. They return all five of their offensive linemen, and it would not surprise me in the least if they uh, try to do a little bit more um, on the ground this season. That being said, their quarterback, Eric Barriere, who came in midseason and did a really phenomenal job, uh, he'll have plenty of opportunities to sling around the yard uh, a couple another team that i want to keep an eye on uh, early in the season is james madison they get to bring back ben denucci he was not only their the top quarterback last year but also the leading rusher uh the dukes though also have a new coach uh, mike houston you might remember uh the man who guided them to the 2016 national title left for east carolina uh, during the coaching carousel this offseason he's being replaced by kurt signetti uh Either of you guys remember where Signetti's coming over from? Nope. <laughs> well, that wasn't the pop quiz. Nope. Uh, the know, answer he's is coming over from James Madison. No, he's at James Madison now. Came over from 
Elon. Um, oh he, yeah, Elon. Wait, no, I don't know. he helped turn that program around. They had gone four and twenty um, in conference over the, the three seasons before uh, he got there. He all he did was guide them to back to back FCS playoff berths um, in his two years at the helm of the Phoenix. Um, after those top three teams, South Dakota State, UC Davis, Jacksonville State, Maine, Wofford, Weber State, and Kennesaw State round out the preseason top 10. Out of those teams, I think that Jacksonville State might actually have the biggest upside of this season. They return pretty much all of the uh, skill position guys uh, on their high-octane offense. Outside of the top 10, one of the teams that intrigues me most is Montana State. Um Basically, I, I shouldn't even say Montana State intrigues me. I should be saying that Troy Anderson intrigues me. He is the most interesting man in college football. Last year, he led the team in passing yards, in rushing yards, and was third in tackles. Yes, he is a true two-way player. Uh, he played quarterback, running back, and linebacker last year. This year, he'll be spending most of his time at running back and linebacker, a little less quarterback because they have two guys in Tucker Rovig and Casey Bauman who will be uh, allow him to focus on running the ball and tackling the runners. But nonetheless, he is a fascinating fascinating uh player you know we don't really see two true two-way guys anymore at the fbs level but here down at the fcs level he is a you know an every down player he is the nile kinnick of this era the last team i want to mention illinois state uh they've missed the playoffs the last two years but if you'll remember they beat colorado state last year started the season five and one looked pretty good they got decimated by injuries they were turning eight starters on a defense that ranked number two in all of fcs last season obviously you guys know i am a big ivy league football guy uh ivies don't start up until uh everyone else is in week four uh, because they are weird like that uh so i will be giving you guys a little bit of an ivy preview uh, a little bit later on hint hint it's princeton all the way again but um before we get into our deep roots uh this fcs uh discussion uh makes it time for a pop quiz so gentlemen bust out your number two pencils get those scantron sheets ready can i write in sharpie <sighs> i mean you you have, you're an exceptional ed now, so I, I guess I have to do whatever you want. Yes. So, um, gentlemen, see, see, professor, if you want to get into high school, those are the questions you can, you have to a answer. What the exceptional ed questions? The can I write in Sharpie? Oh yeah, no. Um, those questions. So, gentlemen, I just mentioned Illinois State beating Colorado State last year, thirty-five to nineteen. Um, in the last two seasons, including Illinois State, there have been 15 FCS teams that have gone on to beat an FBS team. Um, one of these teams has done it twice. Um, uh, I want, what I want you guys to do now is name them, and for a bonus point, name the team that they beat. So, Josh, I will start with you. All right. Well, I remember this game quite well because uh, most of the time FCS games it, do not have a line on them if they're against an FBS team. But this one did because it involved hometown UNLV. They were huge favorites against Howard and Howard got the upset. That is correct. Uh, Howard beat UNLV 43 to 40 back in 2017. Coach. 
Well, we can't forget what happened in 2006, Appy State coming into Michigan when they were still an FCS program. That's true, but I'm asking for the last two years. Just the last two years. <laughs> I know. I just wanted to mention it, though. Okay. Um, okay. Well, so, in that case, can we mention uh, North Dakota State beating Iowa and Kinnick? Yeah, let's mention it. Um, did, can, mention, can we mention uh, Cal Poly deserving to beat Wisconsin in Camp Randall and only losing because of a missed extra point? Can we, can we mention that Georgia is scared to play Mercer? They've never scheduled them. Yeah, we're we're done. Well, you know what scared us is uh, playing Nickel State. Oh, I, I think we're gonna say Kennesaw State. No, we're even more scared of them. Um, okay, so my real answer is uh, Eastern Washington beating Wazoo. Did that happen in the last couple of years? Uh, Eastern Washington beat Washington State. That was three years ago. So ah. sorry, Coach. Strike one. That happened in 2016. Ah. Hmm. Told you. Good guess, though, Josh. Mm. Let's see. Let's see. Racking my brain, racking my brain. Um, I think that just last season, um, didn't Villanova beat Temple in the Battle of Philly? That is correct. Nova beat Temple 19-17 to last season. Yeah, I I remember us breaking down that game because we were like giving Temple just all sorts of like dire warnings. Like they were a Chernobyl and I think they ended up making a bowl game. And their coach then took the Georgia Tech job. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. Things worked out kind of all right after that game. <laughs> coach. Okay. Uh, this is possibly strike two. I'm, I'm going to be really bad on this pop quiz just so you know. Um didn't Old Dominion, who is now FBS, beat Virginia Tech two years ago? Old Dominion um, is not correct, uh, unfortunately. Um, ODU has not beaten a, uh, according to my research, has, uh, when they were an FCS program, never beat an FBS program. Mm. There we go. Well, all righty then. Uh, Josh? Um, so I'm pretty sure that they have several FCS wins and or FBS wins. And the most famous one was when they beat Virginia Tech a few years ago. So it feels safe picking James Madison, the only rival really to North Dakota State. I don't know if they qualified over the last two years, but they felt like a safe pick. James Madison's correct. Do you know who they beat? Um, uh, maybe NC State. I don't know. Right State, wrong school. East Carolina. Oh, East God, Carolina. I that. Yep. I yep. remember that. I okay. remember covering that. Going, what just happened? Yeah, East Carolina. Um, the only school to lose twice on this list as the FBS team. <laughs> That's pretty good. Oh boy, Coach, you're up. Oh boy. Oh crap. Okay, I just. I'll put myself out of my misery here. Um, Eastern Washington beat somebody else too, didn't they? But you already got a, you already got a strike for that, bro. <laughs> oh, okay. That's right. You you, yeah. you you got a strike for that because they did it three years ago. They beat Washington State. Yeah, I was wondering if they did it again. Um, <laughs> I, I I would have said yes the first time you guessed them. 
I, I truly am uh, exceptional at today. Um, <laughs> oh, crap. I have no idea. Um, well, you've already mentioned one of these teams in the show once. I, I did. Well, one of us did. I don't think it was me. Oh, I think it was. Happy state? <laughs> no, they don't count. They are FBS and happened for a minute now. I, that's the only other team I've mentioned. Okay. Uh, no, you mentioned Nickel State. And what Nickel State beat? Kansas last year. Did they really? Yes, 26 to 23. <laughs> Was I under a rock? Must have no, been. but you did just strike out. I did. So, uh, Josh, did. Any, anyone else popping off the top of your head? Um. I had a big question mark next to North Dakota State. I think they have been not scheduled as much anymore. So yeah, I, everyone I think, is scurred to uh, play them since the Iowa game back in 2016. So a few other teams um, popped into my head. Um, that Cal Poly team that you mentioned, Matt, mm-hmm. they seem like they're usually pretty decent. Um, no, I know I know um, the Aggies down there at North Carolina A&T have had some really good years. Uh, they were uh, they're the only team to appear on this list twice. They've beaten a uh, an FBS team in two consecutive years. They were the other team to beat East Carolina. They did that last year. Nice. And they also beat oh. Charlotte the year before. And then my last guess is uh, it seems like they're always creeping around the playoffs. Uh, Jacksonville State. Jacksonville State. Um, that was the that was the rest of my list. Not a bad guess, um, but they uh, are not correct. Um, the rest of the list, uh, I mentioned Illinois State already. They beat Colorado State last year. Maine beat Western Kentucky last year, 31-28. Oh, the Hilltoppers were awful last mm-hmm. year. Northern Arizona. Western Kentucky wasn't much better. <laughs> <laughs> um, Northern Arizona um, uh, beat they Utah beat. last year. They didn't just beat them. They beat them down 30-10. to 10. UTEP, uh, UTEP was somehow ranked 150th in, <laughs> out of 130 in every stat in football. It was amazing. <laughs> uh, last year, wow. also, UC, last year, UC Davis beat San Jose State 44 38. And Ooh, San Jose State was ranked like 149th at every stat. Um, you guys already mentioned a couple other ones. Uh, 2017, Idaho State beat Nevada. That was Idaho State's first year as FCS. Um, that was their first year. Oh, sorry, not not their first year. What am I saying? Um, no, Who? Idaho State. Be, I uh, I was I was thinking Idaho dropping down. Uh, no, Idaho oh, right, right, right. Idaho State beat Nevada thirty to twenty eight in twenty seventeen. This school, um, the most of the evilest of all the schools that is now an FBS school, was still an FCS school back in twenty seventeen when they beat Baylor forty eight to forty five in the Despicable. Um, At uh, Liberty with Turner Gale uh yep liberty 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 yep. liberty versus baylor is um one of just the worst games that anyone could attend um the game the the, the product of the field was good 48 45 but good lord uh also new hampshire beat georgia southern uh south dakota beat bowling green tennessee state tsu beat georgia state and western illinois beat coastal carolina all in 2017 the Leathernecks. So just down the road from me, Western Illinois. I guess like, I really got to start paying attention to FCS football. A little bit, man. A little there bit. All right. So, gents. Or just, uh, or just pay more attention to really crappy football <laughs> from the FBS teams. 
True. Oh, good Lord. Okay, so uh, let's get it started uh, with the big games this weekend. We will start Ooh. in Jerry World uh, on um, on Saturday evening, uh, 7.30 Eastern. Oregon taking on Auburn, the only matchup of top 25 opponents this uh, kickoff weekend, which is a real shame. But Ooh. two pretty good ones, um, Oregon and Auburn. Uh, they're going head-to-head in Jerry World. Coach, big battle here, I think, is going to be how is Auburn going to contain Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert? Well, Auburn has a really good uh, defensive line. Um, they have uh, – it's like a top three unit. So they should be able to get significant pressure um, on Justin Herbert and, and really just make it difficult for him to stand in the pocket and throw. If Oregon wants to win, they've got to mix things up. They've got to get Herbert on the move. They've got to do some things play-action-wise. They've got to do things RPO-wise to keep, take advantage of a aggressive Auburn front seven. So um, if Auburn, for whatever reason – can't get pressure on Herbert or he's just getting the ball out too quick or he's on the move or whatever, that's where they're going to struggle because I'm not convinced yet, and they could convince me on Saturday night, uh, that their DBs are ready to take on the burden of covering these receivers. Um, Everything goes through the Auburn defensive front, especially the defensive line. So um, I, I think that's going to be something to to watch for. Can they get pressure? Um, That's, you know, otherwise, Oregon, this might be a track meet. So, uh, but Auburn is starting uh, Bo Nix at quarterback. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I mean, he's going to be, you know, obviously I was pretty shocked when Jared Siddham declared to to go pro last year. And obviously, but I mean, did he even get drafted? Yeah, he got drafted by the Patriots. In what, um, like the seventh round? Sixth or seventh round. Yeah, but he probably didn't, I mean, he probably Stidham, didn't even make the team. He's probably not even going to make the team. Stidham was not a good fit for Miles on. He was no, not. A good I, I never understood that marriage from the get go. He was at he was at Baylor first. He did he did pretty good at Baylor. Yeah, um, he, he needed somebody who was he needed somebody in that same realm of spread air raid uh-huh. type deal and. Gus Malzahn's not that. Do you think? So, but, but do you think Bo Nix fits Malzahn's system better than Stidham? Yeah, but, better than Stidham, but he's still not. See, I think Herbert here's Morgan the thing. W- here's would the thing be the perfect Malzahn. guy for Auburn. Yeah, absolutely. Here's the thing for Malzahn: Does he really have a system? That, that that's a good question. That's a good I, question. I, I think I'm not he sure does. If he does. I think he just kind of tries to fit around his quarterback and doesn't really i think he just it feels like sometimes he throws a bunch of stuff against the wall and see what sticks mm-hmm. uh, is what i mm-hmm. feel like sometimes a lot of stuff sticks and he gets it right but he needs a quarterback in order to 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 operate he needs a quarterback like marshall cam newton those type of quarterbacks under under his system tend to work better than the jared stidham's and bo nixes and things he, he cool. needs a guy that's a dual that's more of a dual threat well, frankly, like 2011 Cam Newton or whatever year that was, 2010, 2011 Cam Newton would fit in any system. That was one of the greatest collegiate seasons of all time, no yeah, matter how I much mean, they paid his dad. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> that's true. But then in 2013 with Nick Marshall, you get more of a, you know, a, more of a true dual threat guy. 
Yeah, and and that that's why I think that's why I think Herbert would be um, a really good fit there. Absolutely, no, I'm I'm not disagreeing with you there, Josh. Uh, this is year two uh, for Oregon under Mario Cristobal. Uh, what uh, improvements or changes do you expect to see going from year one to year two? Well, defensively, they finished kind of middle of the pack there in the 60s for points allowed per game. Uh, a lot of that had to do with a pretty poor pass defense that was in the 90s. So definitely want to uh, stay there in points allowed, if not improve that a little bit. But you want to see a big leap in the you know, pass defense. What, uh, what intrigues me, building off of what a coach said with the sacks and the Auburn pass rush and stuff, um, you know, new personnel, new faces. Uh, so last year's stats are kind of like a benchmark to see where the teams are, could potentially be. Uh, Auburn was pretty good, 16th in the nation, 38 sacks. And Oregon, pretty good pass protection. They only gave up 22 sacks all year. That was 95th. Uh, so pretty dang good. Um, the pass defense, though, for Auburn, it was feast or famine. They seemed like they either sacked you or you were racking up the yards. They finished 58th in pass defense. That isn't particularly good. That's not a banner defense, to say the least, especially in the SEC where you have some teams that don't necessarily pass as much as others um, looking at Georgia. Um, <laughs> but so I think uh, – I think Oregon stands a really good chance. I think that uh, a bear, if he's given some time, will shred this defense. So that, that is one thing I want to talk about. Cause you, you, you talked about if he's given time. Yeah. Derek Brown, the defensive lineman from Auburn might be the best player in this game. Full stop coach. Yeah, so, absolutely. I mean, and, can't, I can't think of a more talented interior defensive lineman. I mean, and so, and that scares me if I'm Oregon. And so what do you do to scheme around a guy like that? Well, you screen him. You run right at him. Um, you go, you throw quick passes, you know, things like that. Sorry, my headphones were uh, giving me fits. Um, you, you just, you know, run jet sweeps around him and, and cut him, double him, put it back on him, chip him, do all kind of stuff. Um, he's still going to have – one or two sacks maybe, but you just got to get rid of the ball, hands down. Okay. Okay. Um, so, uh, Josh, prediction, who's going to win this one in a quote-unquote neutral site matchup that is a heck of a lot closer to Auburn, Alabama than it is to Eugene, <laughs> Oregon? Well, smart money says Auburn because Pac-12 teams do as bad as everyone else that goes out west to them. However... We have Gus Malzahn as the first fired for a reason. Mm -hmm. We have a pass defense that I don't think is going to be world beaters outside of if they can get some sacks. The problem is a bear is going to be throwing it a lot. Let's say he throws it about 40 times. You would say a really good day would be sacking him five times and getting what? 10 other hurries. Something like that. I don't think that the defensive line, even with a great day, is going to disrupt a potential Heisman candidate enough. So I am surprising my own self because, like I said, Pac-12 teams going east seldom works. But I am going to take the Ducks. Coach. Yeah, I'm, 
if Oregon could get this thing into a track meet, uh, Auburn's not equipped to compete in a track meet. I don't think they have enough firepower offensively. Uh, Jatarvis Whitlow uh, as a running back is somebody that is dangerous, but I think Auburn kind of needs a, I don't want, I don't want to say total grind out, chew the clock type game, but they don't need a total track meet either. So I think if Auburn can control the tempo of this game, they, they will come out victorious. But if they let this game get into a track meet, I think Oregon is equipped to win a track meet. And I think Oregon will dictate the tempo and get this thing into a track meet. I think they get revenge on the 2010 national championship here where they come out with a win, a uh, good three point win. So for me, it comes down to the fact that Oregon has a kid who's about to start his fourth year as a starting quarterback behind center and Auburn starting a true freshman in, a, you know, what does Jerry world hold 90,000 plus like, you know, Herbert's been around. He's seen, he's been in every stadium that there is in the PAC 12. He's been to, you know, he's played in bowl games. Bo Nix, this is his first step onto the collegiate scene, and he is opening up, you know, in as high pressure a situation as that as we're getting on opening weekend. So I just think the bright lights, uh, the big stage might be a little bit too much for a kid who, you know, you know, just re- just graduated from high school three months ago. So anyhow, um, let's stay in that general vicinity of the country and head just a little bit north to Norman, Oklahoma. Uh, the Sooners are breaking in uh, another new quarterback this year to replace the last two Heisman Trophy winners. Um, and they have a guy who could potentially be in the Heisman Trophy ceremony in New York in December in Houston with quarterback De'Eric King. Josh, uh, Oklahoma are still very heavy favorites in this game. So, uh, and Houston's defense is uh, suspect, shall we say, to say the least. Um, so is there anything that Houston can do to... Um, at least contain the damage and keep this one, you know, reasonable. Um, hope that an Oklahoma offensive lineman accidentally steps on Jalen Hurts and he rolls an ankle. Uh, they finished 130th out of 130 teams in past defense a year ago. Yeah, that's not um, good when you're going uh, <laughs> when you're going against no. potentially the best offensive mind in college football. No, and Dana Holgerson for all of his success. In coaching, it's been as an offensive person, and if we ever dinged West Virginia for stuff or why we ever questioned them, it was always related to their defense. So uh, I think Houston's best chance is to, you know, have something fluky happen. Have uh, one of those days where they somehow have, like, three red zone interceptions or, like, somehow get a couple fumbles going, like bad – opening day jitters with the quarterback to running back exchanges because they're going to need incredible, incredible luck. I think as it plays out, a good day for Houston would be to have Derek, Derek King have a really nice day, be competitive through three quarters, but ultimately they don't have the horses on defense. Josh, you know what Dana Holgerson's record versus Oklahoma and during his time at West Virginia was? How many years was he at West Virginia? Um, he was at West Virginia, I think, for seven years. And I will go 0-7. That's correct. <laughs> that is absolutely correct. 0-7 is the correct answer. Well, he's about to be 0-8. Yeah. yeah, he's about to be 0-8. Um, but I, I still think this is intriguing just because I love D.R. King, Coach. 
Yeah, I mean, he's going to be exciting to watch, no doubt, and, and, and he'll do his thing. And it's not like but, Oklahoma's defense or any Big 12 defense outside of Iowa State is world beaters. No, they're not, and and they, they certainly um, – you know, I think Oklahoma is the best of that bunch, but, I mean, we're talking about the Big 12 here, so what are we really saying? But, um, yeah, De'Aaron King's going to be extremely exciting to watch. I, I, I think he's going to make big plays all over the place, but – you know, I think, honestly, the only way Oklahoma will lose is if they don't take care of the football, which I know seems kind of like an obvious thing to say, but, I mean, that is an obvious thing to say because I think with all the firepower they have offensively with C.D. Lamb and uh, Jalen Hurts and, you know, all those, you know, all those weapons that they have, um, I'm not going to name every single one of them. We did that in the preview. Go check out our previews. Um, that – they it's just they're gonna have a hard time stopping them and they don't have ed oliver this year so uh that's an even bigger problem and uh jalen hurts is not just a sit back in the pocket and throw it type quarterback he is a also a runner he's probably closer to a cam newton style runner than mm-hmm. he is a kyler murray style runner um and he is not necessarily a runner quarterback but he is he's not also a stand in the pocket for as long as he can and pull it down and run if he needs to type guy either. He loves to run. Um, so he's kind of a combination of both. And he's really dangerous, and he's just a – honestly, he's just a playmaker. So um, you're going to see two really good quarterbacks going head-to-head, but this one's going to be lopsided in Oklahoma's favor, honestly. Um, and you're going to say, wow, Derek King is good, and wow – Houston doesn't have much around them. And you're also going to say, wow, maybe Oklahoma is just that good. So combination of any of those statements will be absolutely true. Yeah, Josh, I mean, the last time we saw this Houston defense, they were giving up 70 to Army. Yeah. In the Armed Forces Bowl. So, Mm -hmm. um, and that was a team that had Ed Oliver. Now He didn't play the bowl game, but still. Um, I mean, uh, I guess if you're a, he's a Cougar fan, Oklahoma doesn't run the triple option. That's true. Um, that Josh, true. over under for this game, 79 and a half. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on how much success Houston has. I think you could safely pencil in Oklahoma for somewhere between 42 and 58 points. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if Oklahoma or if uh, Houston could get on the board a couple times, I, I would take the over. Yeah, 52 feels about right for me for Oklahoma. Um, let's keep it moving, Coach. Um, we've got uh, an interesting one out on the farm. Uh, Northwestern heading west to take on Stanford, um, which will be a 1 p.m. local kick there um, in Palo Alto on Saturday. But uh, Northwestern uh, graduated their four-year starter, Clayton Thorson. And so they are going to be, uh, you know, uh, breaking in a a pretty new offense uh, up there. So actually, I guess I should start with you, Josh. Um, What can Northwestern do uh, in order to upset the, you know, the the steady, steady team that is Stanford? Well, I hate to be a broken record, but they're going to need a lot of luck, just like Houston. And um, unfortunately, I think Northwestern is a team that will regress to the mean. You look at their uh, results last year. They beat Nebraska in overtime. 
They beat Rutgers by just three points. They beat Iowa by just four points. Um, they beat a pretty poor Illinois team by just eight points. Uh, they got manhandled by Duke, lost to Akron. Uh, they also beat Purdue, excuse me, by four points. So uh, they won the their division by going eight and one in Big Ten. It was a pretty uneven, like skin of their teeth, cardiac cat, mid nineties type team, eight and one. Those bounces rarely happen two years in a row. So I think Northwestern is a classic. Peg them in for a regression. They're making a trip west. Big Ten teams seemingly never win these games. And you've got Steady Eddie Stanford. I, I think this one could actually get out of hand. Coach, one thing I'm going to be looking at this game for Northwestern is uh, a guy who's new to the Northwestern team, but uh, you we're uh, all very familiar with a former five-star high school recruit, Hunter Johnson, transferred up there from Clemson. He's listed as the co-starter this week alongside TJ Green, uh, a fifth-year senior. Uh, but do you think that you know this guy will be able to you know rest uh, wrestle away that starting job and you know potentially push uh, the Cardinal defense? Yes and yes. I mean, Hunter Johnson it just he just got stuck in a bad situation at Clemson. I, I he, know he got he, he got stuck behind one of the best quarterback uh, prospects we've seen in the last two decades. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, Trevor Lawrence comes in and it's just you know that's just bad luck for him. And well, that's just good recruiting for Clemson. You know what? What can you say? So he's transferring and he's a kid that he's good. And he's immediately eligible. We should say he's that immediately eligible, which is which we need to mention that. Um, no, no shocker there. Um, but I mean, he really should be. I mean, you know, I agree. Everyone should Make be. All. Everyone knows that. Every, by now. Everyone that. Yeah. If you listen to the first part of the show, you know, you know my stance on that. So, mm-hmm. um, yes, he should be able to wrestle that starting job away. He's talented enough. He make he has a ball comes off his hand so well. Um, he can spin it. He makes good decisions. He's got great pocket awareness. He 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 just understands the game and. And I think that having an asset like that, you know, I, I know why they probably listed as co-starters because the fifth-year senior has been in the system. He knows Northwestern. He knows, you know, everything that you need to know as a starter. But this is kind of like the Joe Tereshinsky the third uh, holding the spot for Matt Stafford for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. It's going to be one of those type situations where, mm-hmm. okay, this new kid transferred in. As soon as he gets it, he's going to be the starter. And that's pretty much understood. Uh, he's a guy that can – He's a guy that you're going to see if he gets in there, he's going to put a lot of pressure on Stanford um, and he's going to make it a little bit tougher than it originally was going to be. Um, and, and he's kind of the answer that Northwestern could need to compete in a game like this. Now, I don't think they're going to win. I think Stanford's going to come out of this one. Uh, they're just too overwhelming. I think KJ Costello is an absolute beast um, himself. I think he's going to do great things at Stanford. He's going to make that Pac-12 North division race pretty interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. between him and Herbert and you know Washington State has something to say um, about this race as well so I mean it's going to be Pac-12 after dark and it's going to get a little bit more interesting this this year so um, I like Stanford um, I like him big uh, but I think Hunter Hunter uh, is Hunter Johnson is going to get it uh, going early well, I guess, on I guess I'm going to be the guy that's zigging while you guys are zagging um, 
I like Northwestern to keep it close here. They are a six, even six and a half point dog. And um, I, I would, I would, uh, I'd, I'd put a little cash down uh, on the cardiac cats here. I, I weirdly like them in the spot. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's me remembering what happened. Because they're the cardiac cats. Because they're the cardiac cats. And maybe it's just me remembering what has happened uh, recently when these two teams have met. But Pat Fitzgerald, um, with a five-star quarterback, that's something we've never seen before. They still have Patty Fisher in the middle of that defense. He's as good a linebacker as you'll find, um, not only in the Big Ten, but in the entire country. Um, I don't know if Northwestern wins, but it's a field goal game either way. Um, the next game that I want to talk about um, is one that I don't want to say is like near and dear to my heart uh, because Gary Anderson is the furthest thing from being near and dear to my heart, but I'm fascinated by this uh by this week one matchup between utah state and wake forest um wake forest is a uh is a really interesting team this year um dave clausen's bunch they are uh you know pretty pretty veteran squad they know what they're doing but utah state is getting a lot of preseason hype and rightfully so with jordan love jordan love is probably the best quarterback in the mountain west um you know one of the best quarterbacks in the country but um you know and, and we heaped some praise on him i think he was our unanimous mountain west offensive player of the year uh in our in our preseason picks um yeah. but i am a little bit concerned because Josh, do you know how many offensive linemen Utah State is replacing this year? Hmm. Let's more see. Than, most teams. Most teams traditionally play five offensive linemen, so let's go with five. Yes. Uh, uh, five plus their number one reserve, so six. Their top yeah. six linemen are all gone. Addition by subtraction. Yeah, but <laughs> it's also subtraction by subtraction when you add Ooh. Gary Anderson and lose Matt Wells. Ooh. Oh. Um, Utah State are, are a trendy yeah, pick, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go against that. I'm gonna go against that trend. Uh, Wake Forest only a three and a half point favorite here at home. I love Wake Forest in this spot. Um, I think that they are, you know, obviously they're not gonna win an ACC title, but they are as solid a um, they are, you know, uh, you know, they are a solid middle class team there in the ACC. <laughs> what? I mean, no, it's true. And I'll take a middle class ACC team against a, you know, you know, if you want to call, um, you know, Utah State a, 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 a an upper class Mountain <laughs> West team, fine. I'll still take a middle class ACC team over uh, upper class or an upper class Mountain West team any day. And they're no Boise State. They are absolutely no Boise State. Um, they still have, um, you know, uh, a, a pretty, pretty solid offensive line there. Um, you know, only only one new starter amongst that bunch. Um, their defense is sound. Um, and I just, uh, Sage Surratt, who is a, a sophomore wide receiver, uh, has absolutely phenomenal hands and catches anything that comes near him. Big kid, 6'3", 215. Um, and you know, they're going to be, um, they're going to be getting some, uh, I don't know if they're going to be getting the under the radar love, but Josh, I don't know. I just, I, I wanted to talk about this game because I am absolutely fascinated by it. So do you have any thoughts? I think there is a lot to love about Wake Forest and I think they will be improved on last year's six and six regular season. And then they beat Memphis in the bowl. So they, they won seven games. I think they can improve on that. Um, 
It's also a great situation, though, for Utah State, even with all the issues you just highlighted. Um, this team has a lot of buzz for a reason. They won 10 games in a row last year. Um, they opened at Michigan State and almost won that game. And Bryce Love uh, played his head off. I just called him Bryce Love. Jordan, <laughs> Jordan Love. Yeah. I, bet, I bet Bryce Love <laughs> played his butt off, too. Yeah, well, all that talk of Stanford just literally, kind of had, literally <laughs> played his butt off. <laughs> had that stuck he, in he my missed head. the entire season. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but no, Jordan Love played incredibly well at East Lansing, and for teams like this outside of the group of five, if they can schedule one in a non-conference game, that's a huge opportunity on a on a big stage and. Just for comparison, Utah State last year, their non-conference was at Michigan State, New Mexico State, Tennessee Tech. I think we know which one they cared about the most. Um, And then this year, their other non-conference games include Stony Brook and kind of a payday game down to LSU. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also they also get BYU, although BYU should be in the Mountain West. It's so dumb. Yeah. But, um, you know, this is their most winnable game against a group of five team or a power five team so um you're exactly right matt it's a totally intriguing game yeah uh, coach one of the guys uh you know one of the other things i like about wake forest they're starting to pull in you know more and more high-end recruits they have two four-star guys who i'm intrigued in seeing this year one of them is actually a former badger commit nolan gruel four-star receiver from um nearby uh cornelius north carolina but the guy that i'm really intrigued on this team by is a guy named shamar mccollum um who's a uh, a defensive end like pure pass rusher um uh, he's out of Dillon, south carolina and he can absolutely fly off the edge he's listed as number two on the on the depth chart um behind uh, a guy named jacory johns but i think coach we might have another aj epinesa situation on our hands where he's not starting but he's in there on every passing down just getting after it yeah i mean they need some some things like that they need to get creative with how they not only scheme opponents but how they rotate their guys and how they put them in the best situations to uh to be successful and i think that you know when you have a guy as talented as jordan love not bryce love um at quarterback for uh for the opponent i think you do need to do some things the defensive coordinator lyle hempfield will um, he'll test he'll test Utah State's really young and inexperienced offensive line. He will uh, he's he's doing a little rebuilding himself on the D line and linebacker core in the front seven. So he's going to have a lot of new faces as well. Um, but don't think that he's not going to bring some some special pressures and have some things up his sleeve for Utah State. Um, and it helps when you have a uh, a secondary that's that's pretty good and it's led by a guy named uh, Isong Bassi. <laughs> um, I'm sure I said that wrong, but um, he is uh, he he that he's going to lean heavily on that secondary, and, and and having a good, experienced secondary will allow you to do things like rebuild your entire defensive line, or rebuild your linebacking core, and do some creative things in front of them. All right. Well, let's stay uh, uh, talking about another team, Utah. In this case, two teams from Utah. Our final deep root uh, of our preview is the Holy War, the 100th edition of the Holy War. All three of us picked Utah to win the Pac-12 South in our preview episode. But, you know, it is a 
Uh, it's a rivalry game. So throw the record books out the window. Utah BYU is as nasty as they come. Uh, Utah has uh, a familiar face uh, at offensive coordinator. At least it's a, he's a familiar face to us, if not to Kyle Whittingham. Uh, their new offensive coordinator is Andy Ludwig, uh, former Badger and Commodore offensive coordinator. Yeah. coordinator uh, and the guy I think will be the next head coach at Nevada. Um, but he is going to be um, a, uh, you know, he's got Tyler Huntley coming back at quarterback um, and Zach Moss coming back at running back. So, Josh, um, you know, Utah comes into this game rank, ranked 14th, BYU unranked, but the game's in Provo. Do you think BYU can pull off the upset against the Utes? Oh, you know, BYU, a little bit opposite of, Northwestern. They were a, a hard luck team where those bounces weren't going their way. If those turn around, maybe they can. But this is such a fun rivalry because it has a great name, the Holy War, and there are some really, really memorable games. But on the ledger, it's really one sided. Utah leads 61 34 to four. They've won a whole bunch now in a row they haven't lost since 2009 a decade ago um and that was an overtime game a lot of those wins for BYU came when they were incredible at the tail end of the 70s and into the 90s um the 80s were a lost decade for the Utes so you're having a rivalry game between a random independent team that is very handcuffed recruiting-wise based on the fact that they're an independent, the fact that they're a religious school, the fact that Mormonism is a religious minority, the fact that they have a very strict honor code, and the fact that they have pretty good academics. On the other side, you have large public school in a power conference. Utah is the favorite to win the Pac-12 South for a reason. Whittingham is a better coach than Shiitake. I am going with Utah and... I think it could be uh, one that is a battle for two and a half quarters. And by the end, be like, oh, Utah, Utah pulled away from them. And Utah wins by two plus scores. Uh, Coach, BYU is uh, bringing back uh, Tyson Williams. Um, and he is, uh, you know, he, he comes over after spending a couple years at South Carolina and he is going to be, uh, I, I think he might be a game changer for them. Oh yeah, very much so. Um, I, I'm, He's I'm definitely going to be the most explosive back they've had there in a while. Yes. Yes, he is. Um, I, I think that, um, oh my God. I mean, they just have weapons everywhere to be honest with you. Um, you know, you got him and then you got, you know, obviously you got Moss and, you, know, you got some receivers as well. I mean, this, this Utah team, I mean, Josh is right, man. There's a reason why, you know, we decided not only is the Pac-12 South just kind of mediocre to bad, but this team is like head and shoulders talent-wise, I feel like above the rest of the division. And I think that also puts them head and shoulders above BYU. So on paper, this should be over by halftime. Um, but... Then again, you look at the rivalry, and it's in Provo. It's in Provo. Um, you know, Utah. You know, don't know. B- BYU has you know 
uh, has a returning quarterback in in, in Zach Wilson. Yep. Um, yep. In the, the last time we saw Wilson, he went 18 for 18 for 317 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, in the in famous the, Idaho Potato Bowl. That is correct. But yeah, um, I mean, Holy War, this is, you know. It's fun. It's fun. It's, it's nice fun. to have this. It, you know what? It's nice to have the Holy War in week one because, frankly, the, the slate of games, a little thin. Little little thin for week one for my liking. Not gonna lie, I'm yeah. I'm excited about twenty nine you know twenty nineteen college football season as you know as I am every year for new college football season. A little sad. Last year we had a bunch of great games to kick off the year. This you know we're we're coming in a bit you know a bit. They don't they don't fit the bill Ooh, on Wagner, paper, but I, but I think there's going to be a lot of entertainment. But yeah, to oh, it's definitely going to be a lot of fun. To, to answer your question. If if you want hashtag game of the running backs, um, Moss versus Williams <laughs> is going to be um, that's going to be a very very uh, fun one to watch. Uh, two running games that are going to get off and going. But um, yeah, I mean if BYU wants to have any chance of winning, they must create what's called havoc plays, where they're they're getting the ball on the ground, they're getting the ball batted away, they're breaking up passes, they're sacking the quarterback and all that good stuff. So they, they've got to they've got to create those type of havoc plays. They've got to steal some possessions and they've just got to get creative in kind of what they do to, to slow down Utah. Well, Matt, one thing that you uh, mentioned, kind of the thin week, what caught my eye, just look at the week as a whole, are some really random trips. You have on Thursday night, UCLA at Cincinnati. I know that they did a home and home, but Still, that's kind of random that UCLA would do that. Why couldn't they have just gotten Cincinnati once out at their place? So that one caught my eye as a funny travel game. Another one that caught my eye as a funny travel game was Purdue going out to Nevada. A little bit of a weird trip to Reno, to say the least. And then I thought this one was especially weird. Maybe Purdue wanted to gamble. Maybe. Uh, I thought this one was especially weird. What is... Oklahoma State doing opening at Corvallis. What do they have to gain by that game? Uh, a trip to Cena, Corvallis, Oregon. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's kind of that one's bizarre. That one is bizarre. How and, bizarre? How bizarre? Yeah. So. All right. Well, uh, gents, uh, let's let's finish this uh, week one preview off by hitting some spread formations. Uh, we get to reset our record books. We're back to zero and zero against the spread. And in a bonus this year, um, I'm also going to give uh, the guys the option of not just picking against the spread, but picking if they prefer to pick the over under as well. Oh. So we are going to start like that. Josh with our alma mater, the university of Wisconsin Badgers are headed down to Raymond James Stadium, Tampa, Florida, to take on the University of South Florida, which is not in the southern part of the state of Florida. Badgers. It's in the southern point. part of Orlando. <laughs> it's not even in Orlando. It's in Tampa. Southwest Florida, baby. <laughs> Southwest middle Florida. Um, My joke was unintentionally made that much better. Yes, it was. Um, so, well done, Josh. Uh, Thank you. So, speaking of strange road games to start the year, Wisconsin at South Florida. Yeah, strange road game to start the year. Badgers, 12-point favorites um, against South Florida in South Florida, but not actually Southern Florida, but just Tampa. Um, 
Badgers going with Jack Cohn at quarterback, but Graham Mertz, uh, the true freshman five-star quarterback, uh, definitely going to be getting a little bit of playing time this week. Josh, do you like uh, uh, Wisconsin minus 12, uh, South Florida plus 12, or the over-under at 59 and a half? So South Florida has to be one of the weirder teams to figure out in the American because last year they started out 7-0, in conference. Uh, included in that opening streak was wins against Georgia Tech and Illinois. So not like amazing teams, but still two Power 5 teams picked off of the non-conference. And you're thinking, ooh, ooh, this is the team to push Central Florida. Well, after beating Connecticut, they never won again. They went on a six-game skid. So I don't, yeah, I don't know what to make of this team, and I don't know what Wisconsin is going to get offensively, other than they're going to be incredible running the ball. That's so what they I, do. That, so that, I that is what they do. So I'm going to take uh, a lifeline and actually just go with the under because right now the over/under is 59 and a half. I think Wisconsin can maybe win this game something like 35 to 10, which I know is a cover, but I'm going to do the safe thing and take the under. All right. Josh likes the under coach. How about you? Okay. I will be bold. Wisconsin wins and covers. Wisconsin wins and Jonathan covers. Taylor, Jonathan Taylor tailback will, uh, he'll do that. He'll yeah. Help. Um, I'm, I'm going to be go with coach here. I think that even though they graduated three guys off the offensive line, I think this year's offensive line has a chance to be even better than last year's, uh, Bo Benshaw for all the accolades that he got. I never thought he was really all that great of an, of a guard. Uh, I'll just be honest with you. Um, and with John Dietzen having to retire due to injury, it actually lets Cole Van Landen start. Cole Van Landen was graded as pro football focus's number one left tackle in the country last year, but he wasn't even a starter at Wisconsin. Uh, they bring back Tyler Biotish, who is the best center in the country. Uh, Wisconsin's going to run a rough shot over um, South Florida. It does worry me that it's going to be hot and humid down there, but uh, between Jonathan Taylor tailback, the fact that Quintess Cephas – um, after being acquitted of sexual assault, has been uh, not only uh, readmitted to the university, but reinstated on the football team and on the active roster. Um, gives the Badgers four really good receivers for whoever is throwing the ball to them. Jake Ferguson uh, has the potential to be a, an all-conference tight end. Uh, I'm, I'm bullish on the Wisconsin offense, not as bullish on their defense, but I'm not sure how much South Florida is going to be able to move the ball. So give me the Badgers minus 12 um, and if I was picking, I would actually – I'm almost as confident on the under there as well. But just give me give me Wisconsin minus 12. Um, and we will move on to our next game. Uh, two teams who, who, who all of us like in their uh, respective conferences. Florida International, uh, the fighting Butch Davises, um, are headed to uh, one of all of our favorite cities, New Orleans, Louisiana, to take on Tulane, who are two-and-a-half-point favorites at home. Um, the overrunner on this one is 58, Josh. What do you like? Yeah, FIU was a pleasant story last year. They won eight games, then picked up a bowl win to go nine and four. Um, but uh, a little bit inflated thanks to Conference USA um, playing some really bad teams like Rice, Western Kentucky, UTSA. Those certainly helped. Then they stepped out of conference with Arkansas Pine Bluff and UMass. Against Indiana, they lost, and against Miami, 
they lost. And then against the uh, one of the better teams in the conference, Marshall, they also lost. So I think that Tulane is going to win. And with such a narrow point spread right now at just three points, if I have Tulane winning, I have to have them cover. All right, Coach. Well, um, I'm going to be bold. It's my first more bold prediction here. Uh, <laughs> so it was if, if, if it's if it's really Wisconsin wasn't really that bold. No, mm-hmm. really I was just wasn't. saying that. Cause, I was just saying that because you took the under. Um, <laughs> really, um, but I mean, how bold can it be if the the favorites only two and a half point favorites? But I'm gonna take FIU in this one. I just something in my gut just tells me that they're gonna go in and and. I guess you'd call it upset, but they're going to go in and, and beat Tulane. Um, yeah, I I like both of these teams a lot. My heart will obviously be rooting for Tulane, um, but I I think that this one could actually be a bit of a barn burner. So I'm going to take over 58 um, um, on uh, on here because I think both these offenses really can move the ball. Um, let's move on then to an ACC battle. Uh, Virginia Tech is uh, four and a half point favorites in Chestnut Hill, um, aka Chestnut Thrill. Over under 58 and a half on this one. Josh, what do you like? Well, it's weird having these conference games this early in the season. So strange. I, I, I will never get yeah. used. I mean, it, it's Georgia Vandy is a freaking um, division game. Um, but I think it actually favors the more, I guess, as we would perceive them, scrappier team. It favors the home team. Mm. So Virginia Tech, uh, their cat, their paying or their signing checks. That's what it is. They're writing checks that this coaching staff doesn't have the money in the bank account for. That's how that cliche goes, right? I nailed that one. But good enough. But but yeah, their defense was wretched last year. It was not a vintage Bud Foster defense. Uh, Fuente hasn't impressed me at all. And BC is a really intriguing team. We love a lot of their pieces. Listen to our preview on the ACC, and you'll know all the pieces we love. The game is at home for Boston College. They are a road, or excuse me, they are a home underdog to a team that I don't think is particularly good. And, oh, by the way, this Boston College Eagle team went down to Virginia Tech last year and won that game by 10. I am taking the points because BC isn't just covering. They're winning straight up. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Coach. Oh, that, that's intriguing. That's intriguing, eh? Um, I like... I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go with Josh. I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take BC. No, you're gonna, t- you're gonna take BC to cover. Uh, I, I am also taking. If I would actually bet the money line, I'm with Josh here on Boston College winning. But I'm yeah. even more confident in the under. I don't, I don't think either of these. I, I think that Boston College wants to play a little bit of ground and pound. I mean. But- it's gonna it's gonna be an, it's gonna be a really really scrappy game. Yeah, and so and with Virginia Tech breaking a new quarterback, I I really really love the under here. So um, give me under fifty eight and a half on this one. Um, next we will move to 
Ole Miss versus Memphis uh, in the Liberty Bowl. Liberty, 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 Liberty. Liberty. Uh, Ole Miss takes on Memphis. Uh, Matt Luke, two new coordinators uh, coming in. Um, but uh, Memphis, uh, obviously, uh, still one of, if not uh, still one of the best teams in all of the group of five. They are five and a half point favorites on home at home against an SEC squad over under in this one up there at 67 and a half. Josh, what side are you on? Well, these are two teams that I don't know a whole lot about in full disclosure, but one thing caught my eye as I was prepping for the show, and that was Memphis likes to be in shootouts. Um, yeah. here, are, here are a couple of their games. Uh, for instance, their bowl game last year, 37-34. They lost to uh, like Wake Forest in that uh, one? To Wake. They lost to uh, UCF 56-41. They beat Houston 52-31. They beat Tulsa 47-21. They beat East Carolina 59-41. They gave up 65 to Missouri in a losing effort, but they themselves scored 33 points. So this I know for sure. There's going to be a butt-ton of points scored. I'm going to take the over. I could see this game getting even into the 80s, potentially. All right. Coach. Wow. (laughs) How's that for a bold prediction? That's, That's bold. Um, I'm gonna take the over. Oh, okay. in the over. They had a 97 point game a year ago. <laughs> I know. I'm going definitely over here. More like so the, than I want to pick this stupid spread. Um, I like I like the over here. I like um I, I like Memphis this year in the American, but I like Ole Miss in this game. Um, I can't really tell you why. It's just a, a weird gut feeling. But I, I like Ole Miss in this specific game. I think those new quarterback, uh, new co- new quarterbacks. I shouldn't be saying that. Um, those new coordinators um, have, um, you know, a, a lot of potential. It's going to be tough to replace those two receivers in AJ Brown and DK Metcalf. Um, then again, um, Memphis has to replace Tony Pollard. Brady White is back at quarterback for them. You got to like that if you are a Tiger fan. Um, Ashley, sorry, I hate to pick against Memphis, but I'm just going to take Ole Miss in this one. Uh, so sorry, Ashley, but Meg, shout out to you, uh, Ole Miss alum. Mm. Um, and finally, finally, uh, we, we've retired Kansas from, from the lines. Mm. Uh, they have oh. a, a modicum of respectability uh, now that Les Miles has been hired as their uh, grass eater in chief. And uh, they needed to be replaced. And who better than to replace them with than Rutgers? <laughs> the saddest of the Power Five teams, also my father's alma mater, um, and also ironically taking on the worst program in all of FBS college football to start the season, UMass. Mm. UMass Grandy graduated Andy Isabella, who was their entire team. Um, Somehow, Rutgers are not only favorites in this game, Josh, they are favorites by 15 and a half points. 15. When was the last time Chris Ash was favored in anything by 15 and a half? Hmm. I mean, I don't think Chris Ash is favored in 15 and a half in like the number of uh, Cheerios he eats in his cereal. <laughs> I mean, good Lord. Anyway, Rutgers 15 and a half point favorites at home against UMass over under 55. Who do you like there? 
Well, in Rutgers' defense, they beat Texas State last year, thirty-five to seven, and UMass might be as bad as Texas State was last year. True. How many how many interceptions did Archer Sikowski throw on that one? <laughs> I don't know, but on the other hand, uh, they lost fifty-five fourteen to Connecticut. Who is the other team fighting to, for worst program excuse in the country? Me, excuse me, excuse me. They lost 55-14 to Kansas. Come oh. on. Let's give Rutgers a little bit of respect. They didn't lose to Connecticut. They lost 42-13 to uh, Buffalo. Buffalo was legit, though, last year. I know, but that's still an absolute blowout to a match. Oh, Josh, by the way, in that 35-7 victory over Texas State – Arthur Sikowski, 20 for 30, 205 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. There you go. Uh, I got a number for you guys. <laughs> so he threw three interceptions and a win. And a I got win. A, I got a number for you guys. Eight. Do you know what that number represents? Um, the number of interceptions Sikowski's going to throw in the first quarter. No, the number of passing yards he had against Maryland last year. Oh, Lord. And he was the leading passer for Rutgers that game. Uh so the question, how low can it go for Rutgers? It can go extremely low. And I think we saw all the wheels fall off for Rutgers last year as they proceeded to lose 11 straight after beating Texas State. Um, when you have Kansas with Charlie Weiss at the end, when you have Rutgers here with Chris Ash at the end, you don't take them because no. you, you never know – what the final nail in the coffin for firing that coach is going to be. It could very well be an opening day loss to dreadful Massachusetts. So I am going to take the points because I can't trust a team that had a quarterback throw for 38 yards against Ohio state, 77 against Kansas, eight against Maryland, 81 against Northwestern, 40 against Michigan and 28 against Penn State. They have no offense. They have the worst coach in the conference. They're the second worst coach in the entire history of the Big Ten. They are a disaster, and this would just be one of many, many chapters in that disaster book. So give me the points. Coach, if they lose to UMass, who has a first-year head coach, who last year was the offensive coordinator at Florida State, which was probably their worst offense in the last half century. Mm-hmm. Did he coach the offensive line? Uh, he was the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Then he wasn't responsible for the offensive line? <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, he's the OC. He's responsible. Yeah, he's no, responsible. Ah, that's the position coach. He did play locally. Uh, coach, he's, he, he's a local guy for us. Walt Bell's from Dixon. Uh, he yeah. went to MTSU. Uh-huh. But, um, man. You know, and he worked with your uh, your cousin Buster back there at Arkansas State. Um, he did. So he did indeed. He, it, it'll, it'll be interesting. But, man, Rutgers loses to UMass here. I mean, Chris Ash might, not, might as well not even walk back in the door for week two. No, he might get he might get fired Bielema style in the tunnel. Um, oh my God! Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm gonna take UMass on the cover. Uh, UMass to cover. UMass is gonna cover. Rutgers is so bad. They're so so bad. Both these teams are horrible. So I'm taking the under on this one. I I, I just like. 15 and a half. I mean, it seems like a ridiculous amount for Rutgers to be laying, but at the same time, 
UMass lost like the only offensive player they've had since the LBJ administration in Andy Espella. So, I mean, I, yeah, I genuinely think like Rutgers is so bad. They're not going like, to cover. They're going to win. They're just not going to cover. So, I don't. I, I mean, this is this is a rough one. I'm taking the under, and I'm choosing the remote control because I will not be watching a second of this one. Sorry, Dad. You know um, what? I'm, I'm gonna cop out and take the under. So, um, okay. So, Coach, you you are you're, you're switching your pick to the under. I'm taking the. What's under. the over under? Fifty five. I'm gonna take the points and the under. Oh, Josh is doubling down points and the under. Um, <laughs> but we're so, all, but those who don't watch it are the real winners. Yeah, we are the real winners. Um, that game will be going on. That that's a Friday night, seven fifteen uh, Eastern kick. I will I'm have, watch it. I don't have anything else to do. I'll watch it. You don't have a yeah. No, th- th- there's not a Wisconsin game going on at that exact same time slot. <laughs> um, no, I will have a beer in my hand. I will have a uh, clicker in my hand. And I will have the Badger game on in front of me. I might have a beer in my hand too. Go for a text to me. Hey, what are you doing Friday night? My response: I'm watching UMass Rutgers. Go for texting you back. You don't have a girlfriend anymore. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. See you, Josh. Bye. I mean, Kristen puts up with a lot, Josh. Let's face it. But if if you start ditching her to watch UMass Rutgers, like we we're gonna have to have an intervention. I got tape to break down. It's for the show. Yeah. Oh, for all we're of gonna for, see, we're going to see a segment come out on YouTube with, uh, with Josh just breaking down Sitkowski's every throw. He, he was mechanic. So this is how he threw. He this is how he managed to throw an interception on this drop back. Now, so here, here's what uh, now, he was looking for. Well, actually, I don't know what the hell he was looking for. Now, on this one, the play call was a screen pass to the running back, and he handed it off to the fullback, who proceeded to throw an interception. We're not sure how that happened, but it is Rutgers football. Because of the transitive property, it actually goes on Sikowski's stat sheet. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, uh, I think it's time for us us to wrap up uh, our week one preview. (laughs) Gents, um... I don't know about you guys. I am, you know, I, it took me a little bit to get really ready for this season, but um, I am, I Matt? am here. Yes, Josh. I think we're we're burying something. No, we would never we're, do that. Did we're we do it again? Late. No, we did. Oh. SEC Network, three p.m. Central. Matt, Ooh, you gotta get this right, man. On, on, on Saturday. Yeah. On Saturday is. Uh, wait, hold on. Let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. Oh. Uh, oh. Mizzou. No, it's Arkansas. We'll no. Suey, I just said it. They bring in to town a really interesting Portland State squad. And I'll tell you what I like about Portland. What state is Portland State in? Portland. What I like about them is they really bookended their season nicely. So last year, Portland State comes out with all that energy, and they lost a squeaker to Nevada 72-19. to by the end of the year, they had all that energy ready to wrap up a strong season on senior night. It was a green out. They hosted Eastern Washington, and they lost that game 73-24. to By logic, it is a lock that Arkansas scores 70 points in this game. Okay. Well, uh, I'm sure that Mitch will be happy if that happens. <laughs> um, when was the last time Arkansas scored 70? 
Uh, probably when Nolan Richardson was coaching their basketball team. <laughs> what was that? 40 minutes of hell? <laughs> yeah. I don't think they scored 70. I mean, 40 minutes of hell was a defensive strategy. They, they won a national title. They, they could score 70. In what, 94, I think? Something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, we are definitely <laughs> off the rails when we are talking about mid-90s Arkansas basketball. No, this, that's where the show was always going to go. That was a natural conclusion. Uh, we'll be talking about Dr. Tom Davis and the Iowa basketball program next week. Thank you for joining us. Have a good yeah, night. Uh, only after we talk about uh, Tark the Shark in UNLV. Uh, bring your towels so you can chew on them. <laughs> I would pay good money to hear Coach break down some basketball. <laughs> now on this play, he dribbled. <laughs> on this play, he dribbled and shot it. Why? <laughs> this time he decided to pass it and the other team got it. I don't know how that happens. This time uh, he decided to launch it from Steph Curry land and he airballed. <laughs> what was he thinking? Coach, are you watching Georgia basketball again? How'd you know? You mentioned an airball. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, all those big stars that we sign every year. Georgia basketball baby tom cream tom cream wait are you uh, are you sure it's not dwight from the office <laughs> i mean you can never be really sure if it's rain phillips or tom cream or yeah, rain wilson you know, or tom, tom cream you know i'm not sure either i'm gonna go with uh yes okay i'll go with that as well um i'll take that as a yes and i will take that as a sign that we need to stop recording and go to bed because we are loopy. So, gentlemen, on behalf Speak for yourself. of our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burden, okay. here in the music city of Nashville, Tennessee, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, up there in the Windy City, Chicago, Illinois, this is the professor in Nashville saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Go Hoop Dogs! Why? Why not? <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.